The disease of substance use disorder has become our nation's number one health epidemic. In the year 2017 alone, it's estimated that we lost over 72,000 Americans to drug overdoses. Our guest in studio today is someone who refused to sit by idly while so many in our community were suffering. Jennifer Knight is a 2004 graduate of Franklin High School and the inspiration behind the SAFE Coalition. Jennifer will share with us the story of the coalition and information about the important work it continues to do right here in our community. All that and much more coming up next on Chapters. My name's Jim Derrick and welcome to another edition of Chapters. My guest in studio today is the inspiration behind the SAFE Coalition, Jennifer Knight. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. For people that have been listening to this program for any length of time, you've heard me refer to the SAFE Coalition and my involvement with it. I've been the president of the organization since 2015, since its founding. And um, importantly, anybody that's heard the story of the SAFE Coalition has come to learn that there is a very important person who founded the coalition, and that person is sitting directly across from me. It's Jennifer Knight. Uh, it was her inspiration that uh, got this coalition pushed off, and it will be your leadership, Jen that takes it forward. So um, I thought it was time that we do a program about the coalition. The work that we do is is just so important. So uh, Jen, can you take us through what the Safe Coalition is and what the mission of the coalition is as it stands today? Yeah, absolutely. So the Safe Coalition is a group of volunteers in the f- towns of Franklin, Medway, Norfolk, Plainville, Rentham. Um, and we've really just come together to recognize that there is a community concern around substance use. And so our mission is to provide educatement and treatment options for people in our community and the larger community so that there's just a better understanding around substance use and there's more opportunity for people to seek treatment at any capacity, Mm -hmm. whether that means one-on-one therapy or detox or long-term rehab. And Jen, the, the the original founding of the coalition was really in response to the opioid crisis. It was the uh, a particularly severe year in 2015, I believe, 2014-15, where there was a stretch where we lost, what, five people in Franklin alone? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, actually wasn't living in the state. I was living um, on the West Coast. And when I returned home, um, I was running into people that I grew up with, and I was really recognizing and hearing the stories of how horrible the opioid epidemic had hit the town of Franklin. Mm-hmm. There were five overdose deaths um, that previous year, and there were so many people that were struggling with addiction, and there was really nowhere for them to get that real structured support, and even more concerning, nowhere for their families or loved ones to turn for support. You graduated from Franklin High School in what year? 2004. 2004, and you were a hockey player, um, and you've always been uh, an outgoing person to say the least, but you took this on as, as, as your personal mission. This really impacted you, so you wrote your state rep. Absolutely. I was listening to all these stories of people that I grew up with and leaving high school, I never would have dreamed that any of these people would be in really, really tough situations and Mm -hmm. that their families would be struggling so incredibly. And so when I heard these stories and heard that people were really in tough positions, I knew that I had to do something. And um, the organization that I work for a week prior had had a training that I had gone to and it was all about advocacy and how to follow your path 
how to become more active in your community Mm -hmm. around things that you're passionate about. And so I had gone to this training and I had heard from my CEO that it would be important to handwrite a letter to a state rep Mm -hmm. to have a conversation on a Friday morning when they typically have office hours around the concerns that you have in your community. And so I took all the things that I learned in that four-hour training and wrote to the state rep, Jeff Roy, and really was just looking for a way to talk to him around his awareness as to what was going on. I had moved back from California only two and a half months earlier. Mm -hmm. And so a part of me did not really recognize how intense this this community concern was and so I really wanted to talk to him and get an idea if he had any understanding as Mm -hmm. as what was going on in the Mm -hmm. community and that set something off that you probably didn't expect uh (laughs) we now that we know the rest of the story but but at first you got together with a conversation for Jeff with Jeff Roy your state rep that was the first time you'd really met him right it was the first time that I had met him one-on-one right when I was in high school the girls ice hockey team which um we were trying to make into a varsity sport. Right. He was on the school committee. And so I would be attending the school committee meetings monthly, yeah. trying to rally support around us becoming a varsity team where he would kindly ask me to be removed from the building. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and he also handed me my high school diploma, but I had never sat one on one with him and had a real conversation around how to understand what's going on with the community. Jen, the impact of these of these deaths of these young, vibrant people that you either knew, you knew their families, you knew their brothers, sisters, cousins. Um, the impact was enormous on you. It really weighed on you. And the fact that, again, this is leading to my question: Why a coalition? Why why was there a need for this? I mean, there's a lot of tragedies out there. We have drunk driving. We have a lot of things. Why a nonprofit grassroots organization? Why was it needed? Because people matter. Mm -hmm. And with drunk driving and with cancer and with anything else that's incredibly debilitating, one death sets off unbelievable conversations in a community. Mm -hmm. And what I was recognizing is that there had been multiple deaths and multiple near deaths and there was no conversation. There was no support. And that's never okay. And at the same time, if there isn't a place for someone to have support and if there isn't a place to hold conversations and if there isn't a way to understand that there's a compassionate need there, then how are people even supposed to know how to grieve? Right. And we didn't have um, the town, Franklin, is not unique in this, I don't believe. We, we had eliminated a social service uh, position, right? right. We, there was really no uh, social services, no support coming from either the town, the state, the federal government, really. Absolutely. Um, that people could plug into, right? And I think that it was it's hard. I mean, any kind of substance use conversation, there is this deep understanding that it is a certain type of person that starts using drugs mm-hmm. and dies from drugs. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to move past that. Mm-hmm. And I think that from even the state level, it's really hard to recognize how to have conversations around long-standing ideas right. that actually aren't reality anymore. Right. So you get together with Jeff, and he involves some town counselors, Bob DeLorco and others, uh, in town here in Franklin. And you're expecting to have a, a decided to put on a forum yeah. for the town. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your expectations were? Absolutely. So when I had gone to Jeff, really I was wondering if he thought it was a good idea if I started a support group. He said, yes, absolutely, go for it. And once we continued our conversation, it became pretty evident that we should have some kind of com- organized community, larger conversation to hear what the community believes the needs are. Right. And so that is when 
Jeff had gone to other folks in the town and they had said, absolutely, let's start a community conversation. So Jeff booked a date at the high school and put it on his Facebook. And within a couple hours, he called me and said, I think that we may need a bigger boat. We really expected under 15 people. We thought that we'd be ordering pizzas um, to try and entice people because who doesn't love food? Sure. And it's a heavy topic. We really had no idea what this was going to look like. Mm -hmm. And within a couple hours, the invitation that Jeff had put on Facebook had gotten, you know, over 200 and something likes. Mm -hmm. And... So we recognized that maybe this was bigger than we had thought. And so that that day, June 30th, um, we we went to Franklin High School and we had a panel discussion and there were over 300 people there. Right. And that panel kind of represented what a coalition looks like because it was people coming out of their silos. So it was the district attorney's office, firefighters, first responders, mental health professionals, citizens, people in long-term recovery, schools. It was all of these various stakeholders that we call, as, as you say in coalition speak, <clears throat> coming out of their silos and participating in a conversation that people could easily see how this, uh, the impact of substance use disorder crossed all of those specialties and how each of those specialties had something to add and had questions and needed support of their own. From each other, right? And I think that that one event actually created two different branches of understanding. Mm. One was that the community was no longer alone and wanted to have a voice around substance use. Uh And the other piece is that all of us who do this work professionally were able to recognize how many other professions were being influenced. Mm -hmm. I was shocked that the DA was there, that the police were there, that the uh, pharmacy tech was there, (laughs) that the doctor at an ER was there. We had never before had a conversation where all of these professionals were able to come together and recognize how influential all of our positions were in this epidemic and hear from the community. Mm-hmm. It was astounding. Really, really great. And I was in the audience then. We'll get to that in a minute. I just want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Jennifer Knight. Jennifer is the founder and current president of SAFE Coalition Incorporated. SAFE, uh, the acronym stands for Support for Addicts and Families Through Empowerment. My name's Jim Derrick. The name of this program is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, chaptersradio.com. So, Jen, uh, you we go into that forum, and I was an audience member there. And uh, so people know, um, I've spoken about this publicly. Uh, my family suffers, a family member of mine suffers from substance use disorder. And I was one of those families that felt like most tremendously isolated. I felt the burden of stigma, uh, perceived and otherwise. Um, I felt the, uh, uh, everything that the coalition was aiming to do, uh, I was the consumer for. So, uh, I was that person that was searching for answers that called pediatricians, physicians, searched everywhere for answers in terms of treatment options for support for my family and couldn't find it. So the amazing timing of this was that um, I was driving down Route 140 and I saw this sign flashing opioid forum tonight, high school, June 30th, 2015. It was five minutes to seven. I've never driven so fast from the center of Franklin over to the high school, ran into the auditorium and then had my head down walked in and could not believe the a the amount of people there b the expressions on faces which looked the way i felt which was a combination of fear profound sadness and a real desire to connect it was all of those emotions at once and i looked around and i'd recognize one neighbor or somebody that and you're thinking you too you too you know and the conversations that happened afterwards were as valuable to, valuable to me as the forum. But a couple of the observations that I had coming out of there was I felt an enormous sense of relief because 
I realized that community members, yourself included, cared, number one. Number two, I felt like solutions were in, within reach. When you have your state representatives, when you have the district attorney, when you have the chiefs of police, when you fire, when you have important people with such compassion and passion in their eyes around this issue, I felt like solutions were within reach. And uh, in fact, the coalition ha- took off uh, from that point forward. And I don't want to jump too far ahead in the story, but today the landscape has changed dramatically because of the existence of the SAFE Coalition. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in the ensuing days after the uh, that meeting and how the coalition has changed the landscape for people like me? Absolutely. I mean, that, that June 30th night was incredible, and I will have that memory for the rest of my life. And I never imagined that that many people in the community would come out and want to have a voice and want to share their voice with us. And in the days, literal days after that, I had more emails from people in the community and around what they can do, how they can get involved, or they just needed to share their story of struggle Mm -hmm. and wanted to be heard. And so we needed to create a space where people could be heard. We needed to create a space for people to come together that wanted to be action-oriented. And we really needed to figure out how we wanted to move within the community. And so really a month after that is when a few of us got together, yourself included, Mm -hmm. And most of the folks that got together were in the audience that day. Mm -hmm. And we really came together and said, okay, I come from the courts. I have lived experiences. I work in social work. I work at the state house. How do we come together and create some kind of, of understanding around support? And then how do we move throughout the community and do that? And and so now here we are. And yeah. so now it's been three years yeah. and we, <laughs> I mean, we have moved in, in within the community of Franklin and Medway and now other towns have come to us asking for support right. and we've brought all these folks to the table. So we have an executive board, a board of directors, a group of volunteers right. and we hold support groups. We are in the high schools and middle schools. We are at community days. And really, we have moved from focusing more on substance use related to opioids to how do we support a person living with any kind of substance use? Any kind of addiction. Any kind of addiction. How do we support an entire family unit, an entire family system, and wrap around care for for that person? It is remarkable, Jen. And and all of this to think, first of all, people should know um, that Jennifer is uh, receiving her doctorate in community psychology, um, which is uh, amazing to me. Actually, when you sit with her, you can see that she's probably already got her doctorate. But um, she's very proficient in this. And and what a wonderful way to launch out of your doctorate, uh, right in the middle of it, to launch a coalition like this and have it uh, take root and have be so accepted. And people trip over themselves to get involved with the coalition because it's so needed and it's provided, as you say, such a container, a great container for ideas and for solutions. So let's talk about some of those solutions. Um, One that I would say, Jen, has been the dissemination of information. I can tell you that it's an absolute desert. You don't know what type of information you're getting off the internet. If you just Google today at home in your, in your uh, computer, assistance for substance use disorder, you will get thousands of ads of high-priced rehab centers. You don't know what you're looking at and the quality of it. Can you talk to me about the types of information that we put in front of the community that, that 
people find most helpful. Absolutely. So more recently, we have been um, moving into the community in a different way. Mm -hmm. So originally, we were just trying to create some kind of publication and give that to the community around substance use disorder. And what we've recognized is that different styles of information hit different crowds and different ages of people who are living with some kind of concern around substance use. So starting earlier on, what we're doing at the middle and high school level is we are going to the schools, we are bringing in folks in recovery that are from the town of Franklin or from the town that we are, that we're at the school at, who are in long-term recovery and sharing their story. Right. We are also at the, um, we're also holding events at the high school called Hinden Plain Site for parents, where parents can come in and tour what a bedroom may look like if their child is using substances. Right, right. We have moved on working with parents one-on-one so we can provide support for parents in the community to attend a support group. And we have a mobile program, which some parents and family members just aren't ready to join a support group. Right. And so maybe they haven't, they haven't come out of the shadows yet and are still really kind of dealing with this in their own homes. And so we have created a program where we will come to you. We will meet you at your home. We will meet you at a coffee shop. We will meet you at a hospital if that's what it takes to one, have a conversation around what's really going on and two, be able to recognize what other systems may be in place for you to gather support. Mm. And then we've also really taken a, a, a pretty different approach where we have community stakeholders coming together, whether it be from the courts or from spiritual groups or from elderly community homes, and we hear from them what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who is really concerned around your child and you really want to file something called a Section 35, we have someone, Jim. <laughs> You're one of those yep, folks yep. who will meet you at the courthouse sure. and walk you through the 35 process. Yeah, and you know that that's an involuntary commitment of so, a loved one who you feel is in imminent danger uh, due to substance use uh, in any substance, again, alcohol, anything at all. And there's Section 12 for, uh, uh, for mental health as well. But this in particular is what we assist with. It, it's really, really powerful, the amount of support that's available face-to-face -face for people in the community. Jennifer, you run Healing Hearts, which is a particularly compassionate um, approach to support, uh, very intimate. And um, I can tell you, as, as a colleague of yours, if you will, uh, somebody that comes from the experience side of the, of the uh, uh, ledger, you're exactly the type of person, and that's the type of approach I would have needed 10, 12 years ago. I am so proud of this organization and how this landscape has changed. And I think for me, Jen, one of the most incredible parts of this organization is how much change has happened in such a short period of time. Five years ago, four years ago, if I'd walked into any of these stakeholders' offices, not through any fault of their own, simply because this hadn't been done before, and said, my son or daughter or loved one is suffering from addiction-related illness, substance use disorder, what do I do? I would have gotten what I got, which is a blank stare. Today, you can go into any of these stakeholders, police stations, fire stations, libraries, uh, town halls, and ask, and they will point you to the Safe Coalition or another coalition that, that exists in another community. It's a huge impact, isn't it? It's a huge impact, and I think that 
because we've now been in the community for three plus years, there's a different style of conversation. So people can recognize that there may be a substance concern before it gets to a place where you have to section 35 your child right. or before you recognize that there's a real mental health concern. I mean, one of the things that we really want to focus on is catching things either before they happen or really early on so that it doesn't get to a place where someone's really near death. And if you're isolated at home and you don't have any way of communicating, no community call to action, that can be a lot of years that add up with you sitting at home fretting, hoping it's going to get better any day now, and all of a sudden you're at Section 35 or worse doorstep where you've got someone who's really suffering. So this is a huge impact. I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Jennifer Knight. Jennifer is the founder, creator, organizer, and president of the Safe Coalition Incorporated. Safe is support for addicts and families through empowerment. My name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, www.chaptersradio.com. And I do want to give the Safe Coalition information. Um, If you are looking for assistance, please, or just want to check out the Safe Coalition, if you'd like to join us as a volunteer, please go to www.safecoalition.com. M A M as in Mary A dot org. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at Safe Coalition uh, or on Twitter. The telephone na- number for the Safe Coalition is 508 488 8105. So, Jen, uh, we're talking about some of the impacts of the coalition. And I know that there's a green resource book that was, uh, which is called What Do We Do Now? Or as one of the creators, Steve Spiewakowski, our friend and colleague, calls it Addiction for Dummies. Um, <laughs> What has been the impact of having a resource like that? And importantly, what type of feedback have you gotten for the need of that type of information? Absolutely. Well, I think this is one of the things that really was stemming from the June 30th event. Well, we heard three years ago, that June 30th event, is that first responders would like a resource to provide to families when they go to homes where there's some kind of substance use. Mm -hmm. And so Steve Spikowski really spearheaded this idea of creating a booklet, what do we do now? It is a step-by-step, chapter-by-chapter plan of this is what is going on if someone in your house is using, and this is how we can help you with immediate support. Mm-hmm. And we had, we've had we had two installments of this. The first installment, we really focused for Franklin and Medway, and now it has been a few years, and so many of the towns that we work in um, are beyond the Franklin and Medway area. And so not only has this reached first responders in our communities and first responders now have something to provide to families and they know us Mm one-on-one, this book is in school systems. Mm -hmm. This book is in mental health programs. This book is at hospitals Mm -hmm. and churches have reached out to us to to have this book. Girl Scout, Boy Scout troops have asked for this. Um, Youth sports have asked for this book because what they are recognizing is that they may not know how to hold, really host a conversation, but they can provide a resource to someone. And that resource book has links and phone numbers and names to other more intense supports. Right, and this book's about a half an inch thick uh, or so, roughly. Um, it's a uh, smaller book, but it's very, very accessible. Uh, bright green, so it shows up. Um, and it is it is just a primer on the various subjects. What is addiction? What does it look like? Uh, what is substance abuse? What does it look like? What are some of the substances people abuse? What do I do if I'm in trouble? What are the what are some key telephone numbers and websites? So it's really just a, an information primer. Section 35. Um, how do I navigate the system? But as you said, it's it's riding around in police cars with with um, officers uh, throughout the area, the Norfolk County. Uh, 
I'm sorry, the Rentham Court District. We get a lot of comments on that. The other thing that I don't want to gloss over that you mentioned earlier is the one-on-one contact. I don't think the one-on-one can be uh, uh, impact of, of working with people one-on-one that are in crisis can be underestimated. And we have a great group of volunteers that have been working with people one-on-one. Um, I've been fortunate to be able to assume that role. And I can tell you that walking through the courthouse with somebody that, in my case, where I primarily help people is through the Section 35 process. It's just it's providing a friend that understands that has been there before um, and uh, understands what might be going on emotionally from personal experience, knows some of the people up at the court, can provide friendly face introductions. Um, I can tell you as someone that has done this process with their loved one that um, because I had people that were willing to support me, it was a much, much different process. And I didn't, importantly, I didn't walk away and not and not do what I needed to do because of the emotional impact of it. Can you talk about some of the impact of being able to support people one-on-one in the community and what you've seen? Absolutely. So I think the, the, ability that you have had to meet with folks and honor a Section 35 partnership is incredible. And so from a different perspective, what we've been able to do is go into folks' homes one-on-one, whether that means that someone just wants to have a conversation or they've called up and said, I found marijuana in my child's bedroom and I'm not quite sure what to do about that. Can I learn more from you? Absolutely. We've also had the phone calls, and I know that you and I have been on these together, where someone has recently overdosed. They want to bring their child back home, but they're scared. They don't know what kinds of conversations or what to do once their child gets home. And so sometimes we go over there and we talk with them about what the reality is, what things may look need to look like going forward, and how to keep themselves safe. Right. One thing that we're launching this fall is a program that will allow a child life specialist who grew up in Franklin to go into families' homes who are recently grieving, whether it be a death in the family or an overdose or someone has been removed from the household either by choice or not because that's still a loss and so we are always trying to recognize what's going on in the community and hear from folks in the community as to what they need and this is something that over the past year we've really heard we have heard that people would like someone in their house to share and grieve with them and recognize how to move forward instead of how to sit in the chaos that, mm. that their their life has been for the past few months. And one of the things that, that I know from experience and that you know from education training and, unfortunately, some experience in it is that um, substance use disorder, uh, I, they call it hostages. It's almost like a hostage crisis. It takes a family and sometimes extended family and members of the community hostage in some ways. And um, what I mean by that is that emotionally people get wrapped up in the cycle of addiction and their illness. And I didn't realize this, but this is what they talk about around the halls of recovery for parents and loved ones. Uh, oftentimes uh, the illness of being codependent, uh, actually mirrors the illness of substance use disorder. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jen, and what a cycle might be like for a family member that's codependent on someone who's suffering? Absolutely. At the end of the day, no one gets through life alone and no one gets through life in a silo. If we look back to nature, a tree doesn't grow for itself, a river doesn't flow for itself, a a flower doesn't bloom for itself, and we cannot imagine that a family is going to function through a horrific event completely alone and everyone will come out unscathed. That just doesn't happen. And so when anyone starts using substances in a household, it's first recognized typically as adolescent behavior or something that someone will grow out of. Right. 
And at the end of the day, what I've always heard is that a parent wants to love their child through it. It is so hard to recognize that there may be some real, real deep concern because parents aren't given a toolkit. They're not given the language. They're not told early on, this is what to look for. Mm -hmm. And so by no fault of their own, they're trying to recognize what's going on in their household, but also not break the bounds of their relationship with their child. And what we are trying to do is have parents and family members recognize when there may be a concern and how to also hold conversations that aren't going to break relationships because no matter what the family is always going to be there. They're going to be there before, during and after an event, regardless of how many doctors, how many police, how many firefighters, how many court officials intervene. The family system is always going to be there. So how do we, how do we all interact with each other in the most compassionate way without losing this real deep understanding that that family bond will never go away. Right. And, and the family's taken on a roller coaster ride, just like the highs and lows of addiction. Right. And, right. and, and the roller coaster ride sometimes looks something like this. Um, you know, I think my loved one's getting better uh, on their own. Uh, they had a good day yesterday. I feel really good about that. They've asked me for some money. I trust them that it's going to be for exactly what they need. And then a day later they are high again or drunk or whatever the situation is. And they're hitting a low because they're still addicts. And now I'm low with them. And, and that roller coaster ride can, um, cause parents and loved ones to, uh, provide an inordinate amount of focus on this sick individual, lose sight of other siblings in the house. The ripple effect just goes on and on. So what you're talking about is creating a space for support of that family unit and for recognition of what it is they're going for, uh, going through and for, um, destigmatization to say, look, it's okay. Everybody's going through this, that, you know, you're not unique. And one of the places I want to encourage, encourage people to find support is at learn to cope. It's learn the numeral to cope.org. It's a wonderful organization, which is peer to peer support of family members. That's family members and loved ones of people that are suffering from substance use disorder in Franklin, the local chapter for Learn to Cope meets at the Unitarian Universalist Church, 262 Chestnut Street in Franklin, every Monday night at um, 7 p.m. It's 7 to 8.30. It's anonymous. You go in, you can get Narcan training and free Narcan there. But it's a, it's a really, really supportive environment. Uh, I want to encourage people to do that. If you want to know more about Healing Hearts, Jen, can they con- people contact you? Yeah, you can give out absolutely. your email address? Yeah, so that would be Knight. Dash Levine at safecoalitionma.org. That's J K N I G H T dash Levine, L E V I N E, at safecoalitionma.org. Great. Thank you, Jen. I want to remind everybody we are speaking with Jennifer Knight. Jennifer is the founder and president of Safe Coalition Incorporated, a nonprofit 501c3 coalition founded in Franklin, uh, based out of Franklin, but uh, serve the Rentham District Court Towns. My name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, www.chaptersradio.com. Jen, um, let's talk a little bit about the coalition moving forward. We know that the coalition has provided support, has changed the landscape through education, is working in the schools. Uh, uh, and I should mention we are on the Franklin Public Schools Task Force, which I'm very proud of. Um, proud of the fact that Franklin has a task force. Proud to sit on it uh, as, a, as a member of the coalition. Um, so we're working with various agencies, breaking down the silos, providing information, support, and um, treatment options by helping disseminate what the treatment landscape's like. What is the 
the landscape for the coalition moving forward? What are the major goals moving forward? The major goals this upcoming year for the coalition are to provide real education for all the communities that we work in around substance use as a whole. And so that means that we are providing more Narcan and CPR trainings in all the towns that we are supporting. We're providing four community conversations in some of the towns that we are supporting, which means that we are going to host a medical panel where the community can ask questions to the medical panel. And on that panel will be an, a medical director that works in an ER, a family practitioner, a paramedic, and probably a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. We are going to be providing Hinden Plain Sight rooms. And Hinden Plain Sight, once again, is the a kind of a demo of a high schooler's bedroom. And we have parents walk through and they can recognize where there may be things that are hidden um, that are related to substance use. So sure. we'll have that in a bunch of the different communities. Mm-hmm. We are going to at least four high schools and having folks from those towns who are in long-term recovery talk to high schoolers around their journey. And we are hoping to move into having more visits one-on-one in folks' homes um, right after something happens, which which will be incredible as well. And I think that a lot of what you just talked about is from lessons learned over the years. So if in three years' time, <laughs> we, we often laugh together about how amazing it is at how much we've done. And frankly, sometimes I look at the cutting room floor and I say, oh, Jim, what were you thinking when you <laughs> thought that was a good idea? But you know what? It's pretty darn good what we've been able to accomplish. So, Jen, um, I know the coalition is... Everyone's coalition. Anybody can volunteer, see how they plug in. How do people get involved? We would love for more volunteers. As we just talked about, we are moving into the communities at a great speed this next year, and it would be fantastic to have more volunteers at all of the events Mm -hmm. and possibly new events that pop up throughout the year. So if anyone feels like they would like to be more active in substance use volunteering, they can go to our website, safecoalitionma.org, and there will be a button sooner rather than later that's posted there to volunteer. Mm -hmm. What we would ask is that you fill out a very short questionnaire around your name and some identifying information so that we can contact you. Mm -hmm. Additionally, if you see us at any of these community events, we will also have in paper form a volunteer sheet. And you can fill this out It'll ask you to highlight areas of interest that you have, and someone from the coalition will reach out to you within 48 hours to really get yourself more involved in volunteering. I can tell you that it is the best thing that I have done in recent memory. The community is incredible. Working with the professionals, the various stakeholders has been nothing short of amazing. And um, Jen, I know the million-dollar question that people want to ask us often is, is the opioid crisis getting any better? I think that's a loaded question. Mm -hmm. And the opioid crisis, I think, is getting better in the sense of there is much more awareness. There are doctors that are prescribing less, that are parents and family members getting more support. And there are more treatment options for people than were ever available Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, absolutely. When there is more ground level support for people going through this, that is always a win in my book. Additionally, I think that what we're seeing is that there's different styles of substance use that is being highlighted that has led to opioid addiction. And those arenas are changing as well, which is incredible. I think that the conversation around use and statistics and publication of statistics can can dampen the conversation around whether or not 
recovery is possible or whether or not opioid addiction is getting better. And at the end of the day, there are more treatment options. There are more options for folks who are actively using. There are more options for folks who are supporting those who are actively using. And there is a much deeper awareness, whether it be at the school system level or the spirituality sector or the community health style of conversation, there are, there's more education and more awareness. Yeah. I love that, Jen. You highlighted, um, you know, cause if you look at the statistics, if people go on and just Google Massachusetts opioid overdose fatality statistics, and they look at the trend lines and everything else, it doesn't really tell the whole story. And, and you just helped decipher that whole story, which is the impact that community conversations, and I'm going to use that with two small C's, community conversations have, it does make a difference. I used to think the billboard campaigns and and conversations like we've been having, well, how can how can it really be helping? It's now permissible to talk about this openly. In fact, it's desirable to talk about it openly. Substance use disorder, addiction, mental health, uh, in the schools, in public, out in front of everybody. And it does make a difference because at the end of the day, what it does is when somebody says, or we are looking for a donation, say, to support Narcan, the purchase of Narcan to put in the community, a business owner or somebody that is motivated to give to us says, I know what Narcan is. I understand its importance. I understand its relevance. Here's a check. It's a, it's a, just a much different, um, we've created a different environment. I I could not agree with you more. I think that when a family member of someone who is living with active addiction reads a statistic in the newspaper, they are not activated to call and get help for themselves. But if they see every day that there is a community group that is supporting them, that will come to their house, that has highlighted over and over and over again that we are an open book, that we are ready to talk with you in whatever capacity that means for you, they may be more willing. A statistic is never going to help someone get more support. It's only going to scare them and keep them in the shadows. Boy, I tell you, that's so well put. And we incorporate the, the recovery community in everything we do. We, we, we incorporate uh, parents or exper- ex- the experience end of the stick to show people that recovery is not only possible, but is happening every single day. We have wonderful models of that right here in our community that are happy to come out and speak to groups speak to learn to cope, speak to schools. Um, And I think it's so important to keep that message front and center, you know, and many of these people have been the recipients of Narcan over their lives and and have come back to live amazing lives. Um, And it's important to keep that message forward, don't you think? I absolutely think so. And I think that when we started the coalition, we really just wanted to focus on providing support to those who are living with addiction and their immediate family members. And so much has come from that. One thing in particular that I don't think either one of us were expecting was the community providing opportunities. You and I have both been part of conversations over the past few years where employers in the community have come to us and stated that they will hire folks that are in long-term recovery, Amazing. that they want to get involved and provide employment options. And for us to hear what the community also wants to provide is incredible. That's right. So we can actually link people who are in recovery, who are working with us in various capacities to new styles of employment that they never would have had, had we not come together and really been sharing this message mm-hmm. of, of openness. Jim, what is the role of mental health and addiction? What, in addiction? They they are one and the same. There is, there is no difference. You cannot um, be mentally well and be actively using a substance. And you cannot be actively using a substance and be mentally well. Did the National Institute of Health recently classify substance use disorder as a mental health issue? Do I 
have yes. that correct? Okay. Yes, you So do. mental health and substance use disorder are inextricably linked. They are one and the same, right? Absolutely. It's, a, it's a not necessarily co-occurring. Right. Right. Uh, as they, we used to talk about dual diagnosis, there was always that, you know, we got two tracks of treatment here. We offer the mental health side and the substance use. Is it more and more prevalent now to see no more dual diagnosis, but just one attack? I think that from a, a community standpoint, we're seeing this one attack mm-hmm. that you usually you don't have one without the other. I think that from a clinical perspective, we're still getting there. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of nonprofit organizations that either focus on substance use or or mental health. And so these are these systems that need to change. As communities are changing and coalitions are being developed, it's fantastic. And now government agencies are having to move with this trend as well. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing you know, new conversations around dinner tables and new styles of thought from really high level experienced nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Jennifer Knight. Jennifer is the founder of the Safe Coalition Incorporated, support for addicts and families through empowerment. My name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, chaptersradio.com. I do want people to know that if you find yourself needing assistance or wanting more information, there are uh, a few ways to get a hold of the Safe Coalition. First of all, the telephone number for the Safe Coalition is 508-488-8105. The email address, the general email is info at safecoalition, M as in Mary, A as in Apple, dot org. And you may also reach us on Facebook at our Facebook, which is Safe Coalition MA, or Twitter is another place to follow us. I encourage anybody to follow us and make sure you come out to one of our community events. As Jen mentioned, we'll be having a number of conversations throughout the community this year. Speakers, opportunities for you to get involved. The list goes on and on and on. So, Jen, in the few minutes we have remaining, we've talked a lot about the coalition. We've talked about how it was founded. Um, but I'd like to get to know you a little bit more and, and talk a little bit about the impact this has had on you personally. Um, because you came into this. The beginning of the story goes way back to really your involvement at Franklin High School when you graduated in 2004, witnessing, unfortunately, people fall victim to overdose and or uh, substance use disorder issues, mental health issues, coming back and saying, damn it, I'm going to do something about it. Having it happen, having this coalition, what what has this meant to you? I don't even remember my life before the coalition. Uh I think that the coalition as a whole has changed my entire outlook on what it means to be a community member and what it means to work with others. And I had all these hopes and dreams for the coalition and what we could be and what we can do. And most of those aren't even in my line of thought anymore because... I've been influenced by so many other people and what they have thought. And if I look back, when I was in high school, substance use was not talked about besides drugs and alcohol. And by drugs, no one really said anything about what kind of drugs and alcohol. It was just don't drink <laughs> and get in a car accident. Right, right. And then, you know, as I look back even further, I recognize that every single one of my immediate best friends has a immediate family member that has died due to substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. And it is hard for me to recognize now that they have all lost an immediate member to substance use disorder. And it wasn't even talked about when they were losing their family members. Right. Right. You know, it's so powerful what you just said, that it's redefined your vision of what it is to be a member of the community. Um, that, that's an amazing statement right there. I'm going to tell you, Jen, something I've told you before, and I want to tell you on the air, that um, the, the term local hero comes to mind uh, when I think of Jennifer Knight. 
The impact of the coalition in our community can't be overestimated. It has completely changed the way we talk about substance use disorder around our table, the way we understand it. The support that we feel from the community is palpable and real. From uh, prevention work that's being done both in our schools uh, and in community conversations, along with destigmatizing the issue and, importantly, treatment options that we're bringing to the table, it goes on and on and on. And I'm, I'm just so proud to be able to call you friend. I am absolutely humbled that I was involved, have been involved with this organization. And to think that people walk around saying, do I matter? Well, you know, Jen Knight is a great example. You all, we all matter and we can plug into the community. We have power. And, uh, and I have to, I, I would be remiss if I didn't thank Jeff Roy, our state representative, uh, nothing short of amazing uh, in terms of his commitment to this issue, has it been? He He's incredible. And I think that from the get-go, he's made all of us feel so comfortable in having conversations that so many others encouraged us to not share about. Exactly. And and he's taken risks of his own in being involved with this issue and being bringing it front and center. But again, it comes back to doing the right thing with a capital R, and, and we're, we're indebted to him for that. So, Jen... Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. So for my guest, Jennifer Knight, my name's Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and we'll see you next week. Oh,